I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today's show is uh, reviewing a six-part MSL job search blueprint. Uh, We're going to talk about everything from designing MSL resumes to crafting your MSL presentation. Uh, We have on with us both uh, Elizabeth Thatcher and Yuri Klatchkin. Uh, They are currently uh, directors and uh, very experienced MSLs. They've sat on the other side of the MSL hiring table. They know exactly what it takes to get into this role. Uh, Elizabeth is currently at Pfizer. Uh, Yuri is currently at Amgen, uh, though he's recently been at Celgene and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Uh, They are an incredible pair and will be teaching us today uh, how specifically to use your PhD to get hired as an MSL. Uh, you have a different skill set than a PharmD or an MD, which is why we focus only on PhDs and why this blueprint is only for PhDs. Let's jump into the show now. You need to do something for your job now and getting into a surging career track. Uh, one that's surging despite everything else going on in the industry is the solution. This uh, position uh, is one that you can have complete certainty that if you get into, you will have a secure uh, career for the rest of your life. And you don't have to take my word for it. We're actually going to bring on some very special panelists right now. Many of them I haven't seen for a while. And uh, many of my favorite people uh, are here today. Very excited to have on Georg, Trin, and Aria. Wow, this is uh, possibly the best panel ever. Good to see you all on. Best MSL panel. So uh, great to hear, uh, great to see all of you. Uh, if you can see four of us on the screen, please say hello to the panel in the chat box or just panel. And then I'll just do what I, what I always do and have you each go around and introduce yourself and the position uh, and company you're with now, if that's okay. And I'll start with you, Arya. Hi, Isaiah. Nice to see you too. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Arya, and I'm an MSL at Tempest, which is a diagnostic biotech company. And I'm here to share more details with everyone. Nice Thanks. to meet you all. Yeah, thanks for being here. Well, very experienced uh, panel today, too. Very excited. Uh, and Trin, I'll go to you next. Hi, Isaiah. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Um, so my name is Trin Wen. Uh, I am currently an MSL at um, Biotheranostic, which is a diagnostic company uh, specialized for breast cancer and other metastatic cancers. So. Great. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, please say hello to Trin as well. So say hello to Ari if you haven't, and then Trin, and then Georg, thanks for waiting. Your turn. Yep. Happy to introduce myself. My name is Georg. I'm an MSL currently also with Biofarinostic, uh, working together with Trin. Oh, that's incredible. That's right. I seem to forget that every single time. Yep. So, uh, you know, just shows the power of the, the network, I think, in MSLA. And I really appreciate all of you being here. It's important for all of you attendees to know that uh, these are very successful professionals in the MSL career path right now. And they're volunteering to be here because, uh, you know, they've not just made the transition into industry, but the transition in the mindset to knowing that there's plenty of positions out there for PhDs. Uh, you're just invisible to employers, right? You haven't learned to speak the language. Uh, you're, you're maybe just uploading resumes. 
you haven't um, you haven't been found. You're highly valuable. They've all been where you are. Do you all remember being attendees like this at some point? I bet, I bet, bet you all have. Uh, I think every single one of you. I remember you being attendees. And and so the, what we're trying to do here is show that where you are now is not that far away from getting into uh, exciting career track like an MSL position in industry. And so the, the question I want to ask our panelists, they're all very busy. It's just a simple two-part question. If you could think back to the challenges that you were having in your job search, especially for getting into the MSL career, I, I call it the darkest hour question because it usually takes us right back there, right? Like what was that moment where you just couldn't take it anymore? You just were not getting ahead and something had to change. And then how'd you overcome that? Uh, specifically, you know, how'd you overcome that with the MSLA training to get into the MSL career you're in currently. Uh, so before and after question, and Ari, I'll start with you. Yeah, thanks, Isaiah. Um, so I was already part of the Cheeky group, um, you know, before I transitioned to become an MSL. And I was already in my first industry job, and the Cheeky group helped me with that. And I was going through, you know, trying to find my next steps, like what is next? And the MSL was always at the back of my head. I was like, okay, this is a great position. I think I would love and enjoy this role. And um, I started applying to positions. I wasn't part of the MSLA group yet. I started just, you know, applying and I got nowhere. Um, but I did find another position and I moved to Seattle. Uh, it wasn't an MSL position. It was, um, I was working as a scientific program director at a biotech company. And, and I kind of put my MSL like, you know, at the back of my head. Okay, maybe next time I'll try again. And then I was working in this biotech for about, you know, three years. And then I decided, okay, I need to find another position. And I wasn't growing, so I need to find. Then I came back to my MSL dream. I'm like, okay, but this time I'm going to do it right. And I joined the MSLA group. Um, and I'm, I need all the help I need. I don't know everything about the MSL job. Um, so the MSLA group was great. Um, I think the content is great. It helps you understand what the MSL position is about, how the day-to-day -day life looks like. And you can always chat with, you know, everyone in the group is so friendly. Uh, but I think the most valuable is really the group, uh, mm. the Facebook group. You know, it's really valuable talking to everyone. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked to GRG and we texted back and forth, like, you know, help me out with, me, with my interviews. And I met Elizabeth at ASCO. I met with her and, you know, she was very helpful, gave me a lot of tips and advices. So I think the group is super valuable, having that connection, having that network. And that lets, that tells you like, what are the open positions? You know, not everything is going to be available online. So you get to know about positions even before it's posted online, because they're like, Hey, you know what? I lost a member in my team and, and we're going to post this online. So you can go be ahead of the game um, by using this network in a very powerful way. Um, and I think the MSLA group has just been really valuable in terms of that network, um, understanding what the MSL position is and really helping me in the interview. And I know Isaiah mentioned that the presentation part is really important, right? Presentation is key. Like that's the number one uh, point that you need to kill in your interview process because the presentation is just absolutely crucial. Um, so that was very helpful. I, um, you know, a lot of people in the group helped me with my presentation. I saw other, MS, you know, I saw other um, uh, members in the group present and I learned from them as well, what they did well, you know, what they could improve on. So that helped me in my own presentation skills. Mm. So overall, you know, just to summarize, um, the group has been really helpful 
in terms of the network, understanding what positions are open and also like building my own presentation skills. And most importantly, understanding what an MSL does, because I think you'll hear this, that every company, the MSL is slightly different. Um, the position mm -hmm. is slightly different. So you'll hear this. Um, so I think understanding, um, you know, those different aspects become very important. So, yeah, great insights. I love the enthusiasm. And uh, I think for, for all of you, uh, what the takeaways I want you to have is you can get into this role as a PhD, no matter what background you have, right? You can get into this role. Do you need to learn new things? Do you have to learn to speak the language of being an MSL? Do you have to learn which parts of the interview process, or I guess the job search process for an MSL are different from other career paths? Absolutely. But you can through the day-to-day -day interactions that you'll get in all of the different uh, tools that we have in terms of the private communities and the members directory and uh, online training, uh, people like this that, that are ready to help you. It's a, it's, it's a group for people who are committed and who have said, yes, I want to invest in this career track because I know I can get into it. And everybody here is a great example. Very different backgrounds, both training wise, uh, different backgrounds in terms of, uh, you know, the path that you took or how you decided to get into this role. You got into different jobs, careers. Some of you got other careers first, but um, in all cases, MSLA led you to becoming an MSL. So yeah, Isaiah, one thing I forgot to mention is that I'm also an international PhD student. So mm -hmm. I had to also jump through the holes of the visa process. So I want to mention that if there are any international PhDs out there, I'm an example. I did it. It's harder for sure because you have to jump through the visa process, but it's possible. So just want yeah. to say that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that's a great message for all of you because a lot of you are, you're just, you're in like pause or purgatory right now. You're like, Oh, I'm just going to wait and see. That's a, the worst approach for your career. Wait and see ends up, you know, in unemployment. Uh, so you can do this and that's overwhelming the, the message from Aria. So please thank Aria in the chat box. Aria, great to see you again. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Congrats. That must have went on mute. Thanks. Uh, same question to you, you know, and especially if you could, what I think a lot of people have a hard time dealing with is understanding how as PhDs, we don't understand how other people can help us, which is funny because mentorship right in academia is so important, but we think in our job search, other people can't help me. Or we think that, you know, uh, responsiveness from a private community or learning new things isn't going to solve our problems. We think we have to solve it ourselves. So if you could speak to that in particular in your before and after question, I think it'd be helpful. But either way, you know, what were the challenges you had and how'd you overcome them to get hired? My turn? Yeah, 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 Trin. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Um, so, you know, one thing we realize is MSL career is a fast growing uh, a profession and it's very competitive to get in, which means, you know, it's just challenging, but doesn't mean that it's impossible. And there's a myth that going around that you need industry experience to break into the MSL role, which is not true. Uh, and the uh, MSLA members prove that. Um, so I think, you know, because it's such a competitive field that you are competing against uh, experienced MSL as well as many other aspiring MSL in the field. And like you touched on earlier, Isaiah, you become invisible. So there are certain things that you have to learn to make yourself visible to the hiring manager, um, to the hiring director, for example, or even other recruiters, because they always look for people with experience. Because, you know, it, experience at MSL um, is it, a job that requires a lot of skills and it's, it's 
play an important role in the company. So it's a safer bet for these hiring managers to go with experience MSL. But as we know, there's many companies now are taking chances with aspiring MSL, and that's where it's very critical for us to know how to break in uh, correctly. And I think that's the value that MSLA uh, bring because it's such an extensive process that you have to really bring your A game with every process. And I second everything that I touched on earlier, you know, networking, internal referral is just so crucial because you are against 50 other applicants. And just with an internal referral, you make it to the top 10 or top five. That's already a huge success on your part without an MSL experience, right? Um, so once you get in an internal referral, uh, we start with the resume. Uh, you know, you got to speak the language of the MSL. You got to know what skill sets are, are the hiring manager look for. So they, when they take a look at your resume, they want to talk to you. So MSL is really great with that. Um, I can't stress enough the importance of the interviewing process. Because the group done tons of mock interviews uh, whenever um, somebody have an upcoming interview, whether it's phone in screen or it's on site, you know, they always can reach out to the rest of the group, say, hey, I have this position, this is what they're looking for, and I have an interview with either a, a recruiter or hiring manager or a team members. Um, Someone with experience will get on a Zoom call and have a mock interview with you, and that's such a learning process because the more you do these mock interviews, it boosts your confidence. And that's really come across when you have an actual interview with the hiring manager. They can sense that confidence uh, coming off. You know, even though you don't have the experience, you know what the job is really entail. And you speak the language, you come off really confident and you know what you get yourself into. Um, On-site interview. Presentation is the key. I completely agree with Arya on that because we've seen many candidates that, you know, really great when you interview them, but when it comes to the actual presentation skill, they didn't bring it, they didn't deliver. And, and it's just so heartbreaking to see that you made that far and you didn't, you know, make it to the end. Um, yes. When you make it through the end, negotiation, right? Salary negotiation. We PhD, we kind of shy away from it, but the groups really help you with every single step of the way. So I, I, I think that the, the community, the private group is the true value of the MSLA. And it's, it's really, yeah. um, I'm so grateful to be the part of the group. I think it's a, a major significant factor that contributes to my uh, breaking into the field. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you too. And I think everything that Trin talked about shows the importance of really the job search being a second job in itself. It's an entire campaign. It's not one step. A lot of you are uploading your resumes and just kind of dabbling what job might be right for you. Uh, that's like the first of 40 steps at least. You have to throw yourself into this. You have to commit to it, invest in it. And then the process uh, just needs to be followed. There's a process that's specific for PhDs for this career path, and then there's a network. And those two things together help you stay uh, on track in terms of the principles that work uh, no matter who you are, 
but as well as give you support in the nuances because we're all an N of one in our job search, a sample size of one. So having that network and be able to ask questions, oh, the recruiter said this and the recruiters never said that to anybody else before. What do you say? I, I need a, a visa as well. I have no industry experience. I have a gap on my resume. How do I handle this? Th those nuances are, are covered because of the network. So please thank Trin and congratulate her. And then Georg, thanks for waiting. Same question to you. Do you want me to repeat it? Sure, repeat it. <laughs> All right, yeah. So before, you, before, what were the challenges you were having, especially related to, I guess, the, the more difficult moments that you faced when you decided you had to make a change? And then how did you overcome those all the way through, you know, specifically here in the MSLA, how did that program help you get hired into the MSL position that you're now in or the one before? Absolutely. My pleasure. So first I go back to my dark moments, see a little tear coming down here, but we'll, we'll get to a better place in a minute. So I, I learned from, about the MSL position from a very good friend of mine and I saw paper, that's me. But there's a lot that goes on between knowing what an MSL might be and knowing what an MSL actually is. Because uh, Arya had pointed out and so did Trin that there's different nuances, uh, talk to talk, all those things. So initially I had met up with an MSL who I knew through a mutual friend and I had no idea what I was talking about. And, try to learn a little bit from it. And then I joined the MSLA because I saw the program, I saw how it was laid out. And I, really the, the absolute value is in the group. And I, you hear us uh, regurgitating this almost like a mantra, but it's indeed true. The modules are phenomenal. Those are the basis to give you like the foundation and build on that together with the, with the group. You can really start honing your skills and really getting a good understanding of the role. And then it's really up to you. Uh, don't think miraculously just by joining, you'll get there. You need to put in the work, but you have everything you need. The mock interviews are great and they can be weird. I remember doing one with Elizabeth, my very first one, where I thought I applied to a position in LA, but it was Louisiana because, hey, I'm from Germany. What do I know about, uh, you know, the US, it's way too big. And normally I would like, you know, fall down, cry and be ashamed, but we laughed it off. And what I was trying to say is that it's an absolutely safe space. There's no one will make fun of you. And initially you learn, oh, you touch your face, you record yourself, you watch it, it's painful, but you get comfortable with it. And especially now it's even more important to be comfortable on camera. Trin and I work for a company. We do all our MSL work at the moment via Zoom. Right. I haven't been in an office since March. And I think part of that is also coming from the MSLA, just, you know, putting in the time. And for me, it's a group of wonderful people, Trin, Elizabeth, um, Sonali, all those wonderful people were paramount for my success. I learned a lot. And now coming back to my second um, interview I had, or informational interview with someone after I spent some time investing time also in the MSLA, and that MSL told me, why are you talking to me? You know everything already, right? I mean, that's a bit, you know, uh, exaggerating, but I had a much better understanding. And based on that, I got referrals and all that. And one thing I look on the right side a little bit, see the chat people are like, oh, what, what is the background? PhD only, that's all you need. I, my very first role was in pain and it also needed two years of experience. I had neither, but I had all the transferable skills. You have more skills than you think. 
Um, now I might be a bit on my, my soapbox, but we get indoctrinated that we don't have the value in that. It goes along the line with Isaiah says, we don't always get the support in academia, but we do have value. We can learn quickly. I work now in, in oncology, diagnostic together with Trin. My background is not. Uh, we can learn quickly. That's what we have this terminal degree for. And I think that is uh, that is important to know. And, and just the support of the group, it, it cheerleaders, I was the very first I landed, I was on the phone right away, live on Facebook with Elizabeth, and everyone cheered me on. It's just a great community, and it's a lifelong community. You see us still here two years almost after transitioning, and yeah. I got a, a quick um, text or a Facebook message yesterday from Elliot. Hey, you got time? It's a no-brainer for me. I can give you 10, 15, 20 minutes of my day because yeah. I see the value and I want to give back. And um, put in the work in the group, I'm yet to meet a... Uh, MSLAR, as we call ourselves, MSLAR, however you may want to call it, that has not transitioned after putting in the work. And it really, really is up to you, your grid, but you have all the support. It doesn't get easier to get support. And it's a lifelong membership and a life, lifelong friendship stem from it. So wonderful program. I can only endorse it. Thank you. Wholeheartedly. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you, Georg. And thank you. Thank you all. I, I think you can really see the authenticity of uh, what our panelists are saying. It's just an amazing group. And we're going to bring on Elizabeth, one of the senior program leaders who, who's made the group uh, so incredible and has helped so many PhDs get into this role. Um, it, is a, it is a lifelong membership. And that may not mean anything to you right now, uh, but it's important because in industry, especially in individual sectors, it's a small group of people that are like you that can get into it. Um, so you will develop these lifelong professional relationships that will accelerate your career. Um, and allow you to get paid what you deserve as a PhD and to be able to do a PhD level work that impacts the humanity, which I think we all wanted to do. That's why we got our PhDs in the first place. So thanks to our panel. Really appreciate your time. Thank you all. Incredible. Please thank our panel in the chat box. Wow. What? A, yeah. I, I don't think you could get better insights from uh, three other people. They've been in the program, they've transitioned, and you, you could see, again, they're just their authenticity about it and, and the fact that you can do it too. That was their overwhelming message. And the MSLA program will make, will help you do it. In some cases, it may make you get past those sticking points. So with that, I'm going to bring on Elizabeth, who is extremely busy, director at Pfizer, like we mentioned, but she is the senior program leader and has given so much to this program. Elizabeth, great to see you. Quite the panel, huh? Yes. Quite the panel. Three, yeah, three of the best for sure. Uh, just so good to see all of them. I haven't seen um, uh, all three of them together ever. I haven't seen Ari and Georg for quite a while. So uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk about MSL positions. Uh, a great runway with the panel. So yeah, let's let's jump in. We we kind of we created this, and our development team uh, built this figure, which I really like because. There's a blueprint that I think a lot of us expect for careers. Unfortunately, it's like a blueprint that I think is A, outdated sometimes, B, maybe for bachelor's and master's careers as well. Um, of course, you're going to have to upload resumes. Maybe networking is important. Probably going to be an interview. But for MSL positions, right, we want to make it more specific. So can you kind of just, if you're giving us a bird's eye view, thousand foot view of the MSL hiring process, which you've been on the other side of a lot, what does that look like? What are some of the key differences? So I would say the key differences is that when you look at an MSL job, 
description, it will give you all, like if I had an ideal dream unicorn candidate in mind, they have possess all of these previous experiences. But in the MSL world, we don't expect people to come with all of those experiences. This is just like our uniform, uh, unicorn dream candidate. Uh, but in the MSL world, we want to be able to build upon whatever you currently have. So the, it's the soft skills that matter mo most it, for an MSL role, whereas for a non-MSL role, it's usually the technical skills that matter most and for those roles. I mean, especially as scientists previously, we all know that our technical skills are incredibly valuable, but if you can't communicate appropriately, you're, then you're not gonna get an MSL role. And they can teach you the science. It's much harder to teach the social skills emotional intelligence, and how to be comfortable and confident speaking in front of a group of people. Yeah, and I think that's something that you heard from all of the panelists, for those of you that are attending, um, is crucial to getting into this role. You got to be, you know, getting that comfort level. You might think you're comfortable, might have taken you a while to stand up in front of an academic seminar and, you know, look at your PowerPoint slides and, and present your data with, uh, you know, that kind of standard format of the slow buildup to the one slide that matters. Very, very different uh, when you're talking to healthcare professionals, key opinion leaders, uh, people at your company who are executives. Uh, um, you know, perception versus reality, or I guess best case scenario versus reality. Can you help everybody understand um, the clinical trial process from an MSL's point of view, uh, you know, noting that we're all PhDs and speaking to PhDs here who have uh, the PhD uh, perspective of, of the clinical trials and may not really fully mm -hmm. understand it. So I would say most PhDs are involved in the preclinical aspects of, uh, of a a therapeutic development, but MSLs are largely not involved in that process. That process can take anywhere from three years in the ideal scenario to 15 to 25 years, depending on the product that you're looking for and what disease state you're, you're looking for. Then you get into the phase one, and phase one is when you first get the introduction to an MSL. It's usually one, maybe two MSLs at the company that are involved at the phase one level, and that, depending on the disease state, you know, in um, you know, I am malignant hematology. So sometimes our diseases are so rare. We might only have 12 people in our phase one, but it could take us five years to get those 12 people in the phase one. And, um, but if I was doing, you know, flu vaccine, we can get all 12 of our people in one day <laughs> for the flu vaccine. So it, it depends on, you know, what your therapeutic area as to how many people, um, you know, how quickly it goes, but MSLs, it's usually just one or two MSLs of the company that are involved at this phase, if any at all. And um, they're looking for efficacy, uh, they're looking for safety, not efficacy at the phase one level. So then you go to phase two, which is much higher, much faster. Uh, and it, you start to involve more people. Usually it's anywhere from like 40 to 200, depending on the disease state. It can go from, uh, you know, six months to several years as well, depending on the disease state. This is where the MS, they start to really grow the MSL team though. So they want to make sure that they're educating people on the mechanism of action or the, and or the disease state, depending on what, what, where the drug fix in, fit, fits into the market. And it's also where they start looking for efficacy signs. Mm. So, and this is also where most trials fail. So if they don't see sufficient efficacy at the phase two, they're not going to take the financial uh, leap to go into phase three usually because the return on investment or ROI, which you can learn in the MSLA or in the um, science, um, 
what is that program called? The Scientist Sci MBA. Scientist MBA program. Yeah. It's just not there. So hmm. uh, at the phase three though, that usually is several hundred people that are involved in that up to thousands of people, depending on the disease state. Uh, if you look at the current coronavirus vaccine, Pfizer's doing 35,000 people in our phase three vaccine trial. And we're looking for safety and efficacy. So safety is more long-term safety at this point, as well as efficacy in various different populations. And this is when it's really all hands on deck for the MSLs. They really go through a huge growth spurt. They're anticipating positive data for FDA approval, and they wanna make sure that they have all uh, hands on deck for that launch. After FDA approval, yeah. they might conditionally approve it, or they might say, this is great, but we don't, we want to put a warning on here for patients that have, you know, potential kidney abnormalities because you didn't have anybody in your phase three that had kidney abnormalities. So they might require you to do a post-market phase four trial to specifically examine a certain population of people or to expand your indication somehow to get rid of a warning label, which is usually mm -hmm. advantageous for the company to get rid of. Yeah, great. So, I mean, that's just a, a quick walkthrough that um, of what you'll be trained on in depth in the MSLA program. It's important for you to understand this. You heard Elizabeth talking a lot about when MSLs get involved. Uh, we're going to turn to a slide on that here in a second. I want to introduce quickly Yuri, who we didn't think was gonna be able to show up today, but was able to jump on. Hi, Yuri. How's it going? So Yuri is a MSL as well, uh, currently at Amgen, and uh, he'll be jumping in with us too. I think this is a good slide for, for both of you. And, and Elizabeth, I'll, I'll just return to you because you mentioned this. So real quick on this arc, you said that, you know, uh, phase three MSL start to really get involved. Like sometimes this can get pushed and uh, this line can get elongated, it sounds like. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I would say that after launch, it, it doesn't go directly down like this graph shows. It plateaus for a good five to seven years usually before they start to decrease the MSL uh, count for that product. Now, most companies, though, have more than one product, so they wouldn't be decreasing their MSL count at, ever because they have other products that have come online and they're at different phases, which is why it's important to interview the company that you're interviewing with as, mm. at the same time that they're interviewing you. You know, if you know that they only have one product and that you're, you're getting online, then that's fine. It's great to break into that, that company, but you just need to keep in mind that, okay, given after two years, I really need to be looking somewhere else because they're not going to sustain this isn't a company I can grow with and stay with perfect and uh, so you're I'll, I'll turn to you Yuri too uh, you know just really driving this home looking at the uh, product life cycle versus staffing anything to add on on your end given this figure right so to uh, echo what Elizabeth had said I think this is this is fairly accurate in terms of um, there's quite a bit of activity. I think even at phase two, it's, this number should be maybe a little bit higher. There's a quite a bit of activity on the MSL side in, um, in phase two where we're, uh, we're attending uh, site initiation visits. We're building relationships with, uh, with our PIs or maybe maintaining relationships with existing PIs. And of course, phase three, it's, um, it's, it's all hands on deck. Very important to uh, make sure we are hitting our recruitment and enrollment numbers and supporting our sites however we can primarily as i'm sure elizabeth has, has alluded to it is we are we're this with a scientific support for the site so the cr the uh the cro's the clinical research organizations and uh and cra's the the 
clinical research associates are the ones that are kind of responsible for the logistics of the trial, but we serve a very important supportive role um, in terms of relationship maintenance, scientific education, answering scientific questions, bringing back a lot of insights about the trial internally, specifically if there's um, major hurdles in recruitment and such as that, the protocol needs to be amended. So that's, that's the, all the, the uh, responsibilities um, of an MSL. And of course, up to up once the product is, is launched in that space, well, it's, it, it's all hands on deck. So now we are working with, um, with uh, not only with our uh, KOLs, but also with medical information to, to make sure we have all the, all the um, medical response letters and, and um, the FAQ documents needed to answer the questions that are coming from the field from a lot of the physicians who've never seen this, uh, this drug before. And, um, and so that, that's like Elizabeth has said, it's, 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 very, it's very busy post-launch and this plateau is, is uh, it's fairly long depending on you know, how good your company is at extending that patent. Um, so yeah, it could be five to seven years. It could be, you know, um, my company, I'm with Amgen and Ambrel launched in 1998 and it's still going strong. So it's, you know, it just kind of depends how good of a uh, yeah. legal team you have. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, exactly right. I think uh, initially from launch, very busy, and then uh, at least five to seven years of, of a lot of activity. Perfect. And I think that helps uh, everyone kind of get their bearings on the, the questions we get the most, I think. Clinical trials, do we need a clinical experience? W what does staffing look like? How are MSLs involved? Let's drill down and talk about the day-to-day. -day. I have a figure I can show on this, but I know there's been a lot of changes over the past year. So maybe you can just talk about, you know, what your day-to-day -day look like before versus now, similarities, some of the differences and uh, we can start with you again, Elizabeth, and go to you, Yuri. Um, I would say that I actually, as an MSL, plan it on a week-by-week -week basis rather than a day-to-day -day basis, especially mm -hmm. in the pre-pandemic world. So Mondays and Fridays were travel days. For, I mean, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays were travel days for me, and Wednesdays was like a big field day. I might have an appointment Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning before I travel back. And then Mondays and Fridays were more administrative as well as internal meetings for clinical trials that are in development and medical strategy meetings and conference calls and whatnot. But now that we're in the, this uh, currently pandemic world, I don't travel. So I'm not allowed to travel. Currently, we're grounded until October 31st at this point, which it could get extended beyond that. And at, at this rate, it seems like it will get extended beyond that. And now I am in phone, I mean, I'm in ridiculous amount of conference calls from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. most days of the week. And um, Pfizer is really like struggling to help everybody find a work-life balance where they're working from home all the time as uh, now. And they, you know, my company, I, I don't know about other companies, but my company has instituted like two-hour power hours which you can block off any two hours. It doesn't have to be all at the same time. You can do one hour there, one hour, one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, just for a break from the computer because they don't want people just sitting in front of the computer all the time. I mean, we use our computers for teleconferences. So it's not like we're, we're literally doing computer work. <laughs> we're having conversations with physicians on the computer yes. and in our videos, but um, you know, it can get draining and it can get exhausting just sitting down for so long. So they're trying to combat that with unique ideas. We also um, 
we have like what they call healthy Pfizer initiatives. So uh, I have a Peloton and there's like a bazillion people at Pfizer that have Pelotons and we have competitions and we join classes together during the day, which is nice. You know, you can plan your workout at 11 o'clock and the CMO is on the same workout with you. So you know that he's not going to get mad at you <laughs> for, for not working during that oh, wow. time. That's interesting. Cool. So it's... <laughs> An interesting change of development, but it's been a lot of fun. Perfect. Anything to add, Yuri? Yeah, no, I think to, uh, again, to segue Elizabeth is, um, I think a lot of companies have, um, have really shown us that they, that they care about us. I think, I, I know that just from the onset of the pandemic, it's been, it's been, um, you know, take care of yourselves, take care of your families, you know, you know, do your best, uh, sending us care packages, you know, instituting stuff like what Elizabeth described. Um, it's, it's been just very refreshing because sometimes when you're, you know, when you're an MSL, you're by yourself a lot, you're in the field by yourself a lot, and you, 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 you feel a bit disconnected um, from, from the company as a whole. But, uh, you know, the, I guess the silver lining with this pandemic is it brought everyone closer together. And, uh, and the, the message from the leadership from across the industry has been pretty consistent uh, in terms of, you know, put your, your health, your family's health first. And, um, and, and, and they're very conservative in terms of um, having us travel, having us being in the field. And, uh, and I think that was just, you know, it's just nice to hear. And it was, it was uh, you know, very refreshing. Um, I, I agree with, with, uh, with Elizabeth. My, my schedule as an MSL pre-COVID was very similar. It's Tuesday through Thursday were field days. Monday, very call heavy days. Fridays, like your admin day, where you um, you know enter your insights and catch up on your expenses. And right now, similarly, um, just calls nonstop, either either workshops, internal calls, training calls, calls with KOLs, advisory boards, um, just everything. So maybe a lot more internal facing now than before. And uh, but it's it's getting to a point where a lot of our KOLs are being more comfortable with um, conducting business virtually. And, um, but at the same time, we're still um, kind of respecting their time, respecting that they're going through a difficult time as well. Um, in, in my therapeutic area, specifically in dermatology, a lot of them had to furlough most of their staff. I mean, their volume went down probably 80%, you know, they're losing money. Um, so it's, it's um, telemedicine is not really working as well as they had hoped. And a lot of the population is the sicker population, population with chronic diseases or autoimmune diseases. It's an older population. They're not very good with computers, not very good with cameras. So it's just been a struggle um, all around. So we try to be respectful of them and really work with them when we have something very important to, to share. So that's kind of how it's been. So, but overall, um, I think um, just shows how, how kind of thoughtful the industry is, uh, not only about, about us, but also about, um, uh, our relationships and our thought leaders, and uh, and also they see our value not only external facing but also internal facing. Yeah, well said. Uh, with that, I want to go into resumes and interviews while we still have time. Just those two things. So we get a lot of questions about keywords. Seems pretty simple, but how has your language changed? Let me phrase it that way, Elizabeth Yuri. Like, what are some of the words, the phrases, the things that you talk about? If you could look back, this can be hard to do. Um, that you wish you would put on your resume, for example, or that you look for in resumes that you see that just could indicate at least they've done their homework. And um, I'll start with you again, Elizabeth. I think the easiest to, that comes to mind is 
PhDs tend to talk about neuroscience or cancer biology, but in the clinical world, those aren't terminologies that are used. You use neurology, oncology, mm -hmm. uh, dermatology, you know, you use the clinical therapeutic area. So, you know, and that's something that's really easy to tell on a, on a resume if this person is completely invested in the MSL world or if they still stuck kind of in the scientist, scientific background world. Mm. Yuri. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's probably the number one thing is uh, what we say, kind of figure out what you studied and what tiny bit of corner of science that you studied and then extrapolated to uh, how it benefits the larger therapeutic area. Um, yes, while I did study, you know, vi virology, my, the overarching, I think, theme for my thesis was, was, um, was immunology. And then I was trying to sell myself as an expert in immunology and um, and or inflammation, because that and because that is the the uh, therapeutic area umbrella that's that's recognized in the industry. Uh, on top of that, similar to what Elizabeth said, is kind of avoid uh, um, putting down a lot of techniques that um, that we we've accustomed to be so proud of. You know, cell culture, PCR, Western blot, like nobody cares. I mean, you know, you know, you can teach an eighth grader to do that stuff. So uh, that's not why they're hiring you. They're hiring you for your critical thinking process and your presentation skills, something that's honed over years of, um, of, of PhD or, or, or postdoc work. They're not hiring a, you know, a lab tech. So um, that's something else that I would avoid. Yeah, great points. Um, I might've done my first Western blot as an eighth grader. I'm not sure. I think <laughs> graders are doing them now. It's sad. No, yeah, not to, you know, not to discredit that. Of course, no, if you're uh, applying for a, uh, for a, you know, for a scientist job, yeah. Those techniques are obviously, obviously important, but at the same time, um, as an, as an MSL, you will not be doing any Western promise you that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, new slide here, MSL presentation keys. Uh, you know, this is based on some data in, in general with presenting, but I want to talk to you, uh, both about just the specific insights they could only get from you two. You've seen lots of people present for their interviews. You've got, you've done lots of presentations yourself. Um, I've seen both of you grow uh, extremely uh, uh, in this area, uh, very strong presenters. So what should you focus on for, to be a, let's just focus on the interview presentations. What are some of the shifts that they need to make? The, the biggest uh, differences in presenting in academia versus uh, you're going to walk tomorrow into your interview for an MSL and have to present, what do they need to know? Should I start? Yeah, please. <laughs> so I would say the biggest difference for a clinical presentation versus a PhD presentation is they pretty much do not care about the methods at all <laughs> in a clinical presentation, where just, I think in the science, we focus a lot on the methods. Um, they care more about the outcomes, the patient population, and the AE events or adverse events. So, you know, um, as an MSL, you need to give an objective viewpoint. So you, ha you tell them the good, of the outcomes, but you also have to make sure that you don't downplay and that you're objective about the bad, which are the adverse events that are inevitable with any product. And finding the balance in your voice and the way you articulate is important because if you put a lot of emphasis on the negative, it's gonna, they're gonna leave the presentation as, oh, this isn't a good drug, which isn't necessarily the impression you want to give. You wanna give an objective view of the data. Absolutely, yeah, well said. Uh, Yuri, final thoughts. Right. No, ex exactly right. I think as PhDs, we were, we were almost groomed to um, um, the way we presented 
we present our data, Western, Western data, whatever data we present, we had to kind of do a lot of hand waving and say stuff like, well, this suggests that this means this. And as, as an MSL, we not, you cannot do that period. So yeah, like Elizabeth said, you have to be purely objective. The data is what it is. You know, the thing is, um, and then that's kind of, again, the biggest difference between us and the, and the sales reps and, and our marketing colleagues is we, we don't care if the physician uses our drug or not. Like I we really do not give a shit. Like he can use it, he can write, 100 scripts a day or, or zero, we don't care. We do care though that he or she knows the data mm -hmm. and, and applies the data correctly to an appropriate patient. And that is our responsibility. So whatever that data may be, it's uh, safety profile is important because some patients may be just intolerant of the drug or just may, may not be the right patient for the drug. The, but however, maybe uh, some patients, that's not an issue. Um, efficacy profile is also important in the context of the uh, therapeutic area landscape because there's so many different... Uh, therapies to choose from, it, it's, it's important to, um, um, you know, to, to essentially present what, what our asset does from the safety and efficacy, but, but by no means do we say it's, it's better than, worse than, safer than, unless there was, as Elizabeth probably mentioned, unless there was a head-to-head -head study done with that particular, with another, with a competitor, that we really don't make any comparative statements, we just present the data as is without really any conclusions. Well said. Great presentation. Thank you both very much, Elizabeth, Yuri. Please thank you, Elizabeth and Yuri in the chat box, if you would, for their time. Extremely valuable, yet they still come on and uh, have helped so many other PhDs get hired. Thank you both. Good to see you. Thanks. You're welcome. Please thank, uh, again, Yuri and Elizabeth in the chat box, if you would. Thank you again for being on the radio show and for providing your insights. This takes us to the end of this show. You can learn about this program and all of our programs at CheekyScientist.com. If you are new to your job search, you don't know which position is right for you, you can go to PhDsGetHired.com. That's plural, PhDsGetHired.com to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association that has helped thousands of PhDs around the world get hired. It'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code Cheeky Radio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code Cheeky Radio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs? and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. 
You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, Nobody else offers this. PhdsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth.